0: Turn to the book of Ephesians, and as you do, we begin a new series that we've entitled Rhythm trying to find our rhythm as believers. And one thing I want to encourage you with is that this has nothing to do with your dance moves. Rhythm has nothing to do, and even if it did, I would be the last person to be up here teaching you how to find rhythm in your dancing because I've got two left feet. But what we want to learn is that it's, very, it's nearly impossible for us to balance life, and we want to learn how God has called us to dynamic living, and we're going to learn about rhythm in the different aspects of life, our rhythm uh, in our relationship with God, our rhythm with our relationship with others, our rhythm with the outside world, with our work, all of these different things, rhythm with even within the church. And so we're gonna be addressing how to find rhythm uh, in things like our Bible study, and things like our service to God, and our marriages, and our parenting, uh, mar- uh, rhythm in uh, how we uh, do work, all of these different things that we're going to do until about Labor Day. We'll be closing out this series. So turn your attention uh, to the screens as we begin this series that we've entitled "Rhythm" this morning. God in my hoping, there in my dreaming, God in my watching, God in my waiting, God in my laughing, there in my weeping. Hallelujah. A definition of what rhythm is in life is God being our everything in all that we do. Whether in the home, whether at work or serving God, whether in the church or or as a Christian, rhythm is finding God uh, as number one in all that we do. And today, we're going to start this series by focusing in on the most comprehensive aspect of our lives, and that's the issue of of time and we're going to do so by looking at a, a passage in the later part of our uh, message this morning that will give us some biblical guidelines as to how to use time but I'm asking ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at our text this morning at uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 17 if you don't have a Bible this morning grab that pew Bible and the pew rack in front of you. you can find it on page 978 here's our scripture for the morning look carefully Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we ask your blessing on the reading of your word, the hearing of it, the teaching of it, Lord, the receiving of it. Lord, we pray that we would be a changed people. Lord, I pray for those who are bringing this word uh, to different congregations in our community. Lord, we don't just pray for the word of God to go forth in this place, but we pray for it to go even to the uttermost parts of the world. And so, Lord, I take time to lift up uh, those who are proclaiming your word this morning. Lord, I think of uh, Pastor Jim Nicodem over at uh, Christ Community, Pastor Scott Hodge at uh, the Orchard Community Church, uh, Pastor Randall Ross over at uh, Calvary uh, West Church, Lord, and and uh, the United Methodist Church, Pastor Steve. Lord, we pray that these would be churches that would lift high the name of Jesus Christ, that they would proclaim the good news of the gospel, Lord, that people would leave these churches in our community change, Lord, so that the Fox Valley area. Lord, would be a place that has revolutionized, Lord, that sees revival because people come to know you. So I pray for each of us as the ones who proclaim your word this morning to speak powerfully and truthfully uh, of the word. So, Lord, now as we enter into a time where we look at our time, the wasting of our time, and the, the use of the time that is used for everything but you, Lord, I pray that we would bring that under your sovereignty, under your control, so that we might use our time to the best of our abilities not as unwise, but as wise people. To you be the glory, honor, and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As you grab your bulletin outline, I'm going to have you turn the page. And uh, the second bullet point at the bottom of the page, I'm going to have you scratch out. You don't have to feel guilty that you're going to scratch it out, but go ahead and scratch it out. And uh, I'm going to address it within one of the other points, so just so you can follow along uh, with regards to that as well. Well, as you take God's Word into your hands, as you look at the passage before us, we deal with the issue of rhythm with regards to our time. Now, why in the world would we start here? The reason why is it's the most comprehensive thing that is involved in our lives. Time is a part of everything that we do. Whether we are at work or at play, whether we're sleeping or we're active, time is a part of all that we are doing. And so we need to recognize if we're going to give God glory in all that we do, we need to recognize how to use our time to that end. All of us, whether young or old, Rich or poor, wherever we find ourselves, are under the confines of time. Everywhere we turn, time is continually moving along. The hands of clock are moving when we're having a good time and when we're bored to death. The issue of time is something that is a part of everything that we do. But here's the problem. Not only is it comprehensive, but time is subtle. Can you hear the clock ticking right now? You're losing time. The time that you once had is now gone. The time that was just a moment ago is now gone forever. And little do we know that we need to invest every moment of our time in such a way that will make a difference, not only for us as believers in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with others. And so time is comprehensive and it's subtle. And we need to find out God's rhythm for that time. In 1973, the United Negro College Fund came up with a slogan that went this way. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. You've heard it. If you're my age or or any older, you'll remember that. It's a slogan that was so well received that they've used it since that day. And what they're reminding people of is go to college. Don't waste your mind and and your opportunity for education with other things. Well, I want to change that and morph that word or motto for a moment and put it this way. Your time is a terrible thing to waste. You and I, whether we know it or not, are wasting time. We're wasting time with a myriad of things, and one day we're going to stand before God, and God is going to ask the question, how did you use the time that I gave you? Now some of you, like me, we're still young. We think we've got all the time in the world. Well, this last week I went to Some of my illustrations that I I keep, I see an article or I see something. And some years ago, a a friend of mine had sent me a forward to a website, www.deathclock.com. I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to talk about time and your life and and the shortness of it. I thought I would go there. And what they do is they have you put in your, your date of birth. Uh, your uh, um, height your weight they want to know your blood pressure and stuff like that and you put in all your information They say mathematicians at MIT will tell you when you're going to die. I want to assure everybody I'm going to be here a long long time. Okay, I'm going to be here. It said until 2071 that will make me 95 years of age I said, Amanda, you got to try this out. I want to know how long I'm going to be able to be with you and all of that. She didn't last as long. I told her, Well, I told you this once. You got to watch what you eat, Amanda. I told you you need to be out there exercising. You just can't live with reckless abandonment because it's going to catch up to you at some point. And I don't want to be single, okay? So I encouraged her, and you can go do that. And hopefully your time will will be plenty long. So uh, uh, just so you know, I outlive Tiger Woods, by the way. They have famous people and where they end up. I, I outlive Tiger Woods, man. So so I'm telling you, I know you guys have wondered if my lifestyle is long. It is, man. Live the Timberdall life. You'll live a long time. Don't listen to Amanda. She, she's going to die a lot sooner. So just that's that's what it is. So, so, so we need to understand that if we have a bookend to the amount of time that we have, And we need to recognize we need to use it to the best of our ability. And so we need to figure this out because how we use our time defines who we are. But even more than that, it's going to determine what we do for God or don't do for God. And that will come on the day of judgment. So we want to get this time thing down. And so there's three things I want to pull from this text this morning with regards to time. The first thing we need to understand about time is that time is a gift not to be taken for granted. Time is a gift not to be taken for granted. Now, here's what they say about time. Some folks save time. Others make time. Most waste time. Several kill time. And few, especially here at Village Bible Church, are actually on time. The thing about time is it's, time is a tough thing. You see, the reason why is time is always a taker. It never gives. It's always moving. It's always being consumed. And the question is, is it being consumed for the right things? You see, you and I are not guaranteed a tomorrow. We're not guaranteed more time. Very rarely have we seen in the Bible that God gives someone more time. We see it in the life of a king who cried out to God after becoming stricken with a disease. Crying to God, repenting of his sin, God gives him many more years of life. We know that the book of Joshua tells us that Joshua, in the heat of a battle, is asking for more time to uh, destroy uh, the enemy of God's people. And Joshua says, we need more time, and God holds the sun still. To give them more time. But sadly, you and I don't have more time. We're given a certain amount of time, the bookends of our life are set, and we are to live the most of our opportunities in that time. Some of you are wishing that the, the moon stood still last night, get you a little more sleep in last night. Some of you have a project that you wanted to get done, and you wish the sun would stand still. But sadly, we learn that time is usually an enemy of ours, not a uh, not a, uh, a person that's for our good. Now I learned this truth that time is short and that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I learned that back in 1990 when I was 14 years of age. Many of you know I lost my older brother in a car accident. 16 years of age, he was supposed to have a long life. He was supposed to uh, have his days of, of not only being a kid but then being an adult, having kids of his own and then being a grandparent and then dying at a good old ripe age uh, in, in great maturity. But that didn't happen. 16 years of age, his life was gone. Amanda had an older sister, even before she was born, an older sister, four years of age, who would die of leukemia. We're not guaranteed a tomorrow. And so we need to get out of our mind, well, I've got plenty of time to get things right. I've got plenty of time, Tim, to find my rhythm with God, with the use of my time. No, tomorrow may not be there. Today is the day we have to get this truth into our minds and to live it out As believers, the Scripture makes it clear. Write these passages down. Moses is quoted in Psalm 90, verse 10, and he says, The length of our days is 70 or 80 years if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for our days quickly pass and we then fly away. In Job 8, 9, Job says this, For we were born only yesterday... And know nothing. Our days on earth are but a shadow. Let's just stop there for a moment. Some of you who find themselves as, as older, I'm 37 years of age. I look back at my life and it's a blink of an eye. Not, I, can, I can think back just like that to when I was a little kid my kids' age playing baseball and enjoying life. And, and it's, it's easy for me to remember because I'm an adult in the same place where I grew up. And so I see the same school that I attended, some of the same teachers, and it just seems like yesterday. And now you fast forward, I'm 37, and and I'm going to fast forward again here, and I'll be 57 or 67, and it will just go so very quickly. Life is short. We need to remember that. And so then what do we need to recognize? James tells us, what is your life? In James 1.14, your life is but a mist that appears for a little while. And then vanishes. So here's the thing, you get one chance at life. Have you found the rhythm that God wants you to have in it? Have you found how to live in light of that opportunity? You see, because one day we're going to pay the debt that all men pay, and that's the debt of death. And we may not be guaranteed the 70, 80 years. Tomorrow may be our day. In fact, the Bible says no man knows what a day might bring. So be careful that you don't assume that tomorrow will be there. Today may be, in fact, your last day. Those words were uh, brought to my attention, not from a Christian, uh, but from an unbelieving uh, group of individuals from a band called Nickelback. And they said this. My best friend gave me the best advice. He said, each day is a gift and not a given right. So leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take the path less traveled by. The first step you take is the longest stride. Because if today was your last day, and tomorrow was too late, could you say goodbye to yesterday? Would you live each moment like your last? Leave old pictures in the past. Donate every dime you had. If today was your last day. He goes on and says, against the grain should be your way of life. What's worth the price is always worth the fight. Every second counts because there's no second try. So live like you're never living twice. Don't take the free ride in your own life. He goes on and he says, if today was your last day, could you say goodbye to yesterday? Would you live each moment like your last? Leave old pictures in the past? Donate every dime you have? Would you call those friends you never see, reminisce old memories, forgive your enemies if today was your last day? As followers of Jesus Christ, we must live life as if we don't have another day. When you live like that, it will transform the way you use your time the quality of time that you spend with people, but what we assume is, I'll have time for tomorrow. And so I'll leave it. So projects go unfinished. Relationships go uh, without spending time in them. And as a result of that, we run ourselves ragged doing things that aren't important over the things that are. And so notice the second point this morning is because time is a gift and each day is a gift that shouldn't be taken for granted, our time needs to be given. It must be given. But where is it to be given to? Who is it to be given to? Notice in our text this morning, it is to be given in a wise way. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be careful, making the most of every opportunity. And so we know that we can't do all things, so where should we put our focus and attention? Number one, our time should be given to the Lord. It should be given to the Lord. The book of James reminds us that when we start planning our lives, we need to ask the question, God, if, is it your will that we do this? God, is it your will if we do that? Every day should be planned with God in mind. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Every day you wake up in the morning, I want you to stop and I want you to ask the question, God, what do you have for me today? I ask that almost on a daily basis. Now, I know some of you are struggle with devotionals and, and struggle with getting into God's Word. If anything, if you want to follow your pastor's example, start your day asking the question, Lord, what opportunities do you have before me to give you glory? What opportunities do I have as a husband to show a man the love of Christ? How about my boys? How, do I, how can I show them the love of Christ? What about opportunities with my employees? What about opportunities with other Christians that I can encourage them, bear their burdens? What opportunities, Lord, are you going to bring to me to people I don't even know? What opportunities are today? Number two, I ask the question, Lord, what obstacles are you going to bring in my day? And am I ready for those obstacles? Am I ready to find your glory in those obstacles? Am I ready to make sure that I serve you in holiness when those obstacles come? You see, when we start funneling our time with God in mind, then we're going to glorify him. We're going to honor him with our use of time. Now, here's what happens. What takes, place, what takes place is when it comes to God's time, we start looking at our watches. We come to church. Let's start here, and this will offend some of you, and that's good. Um, we, we come and we say, well, why does church have to take so long? Why do we have to do all that singing and then that bald guy gets up and he talks and he talks and he talks and, and he never gets done and, and I got things to do. Here's the question. Why in the world do we put a stopwatch on God's time but not our own? Now some of you have told me this. I've told me, they're all, they were all in the first service, by the way. The first, first service people, this is what they tell me. But Tim, I've got ADD. I had a doctor, he checked me out, and attention deficit disorder, that's what I have. Well, I've sat with you who have ADD, and you have no problem whatsoever sitting and watching six hours of football on a Sunday with pinpoint focus, attention to every detail. Brothers and sisters, it's not that we have ADD, we just lack love for the things of God. And we need to be very careful. And so the first thing we need to ask the question is, God, what would you have me do with my day? Before I set my calendar, before I set my appointments, God, what would you have of me? The scripture says we are to give our first fruits of our, of our gifts to God, of our money to God. That before anything gets paid, we, we ask the question, God, what should I give to you? Our time is no different. We need to get up in the morning and ask the question, God, what would you have? What is the first fruit of my time that is to be given to you? It is to be given to God first. So let's rewind this week. It is said, let someone look at your checkbook and they'll know what's most important. I would say right next to your checkbook, a person, what would a non-believer see in your calendar that would point them to Jesus? Jesus. Is there anything this last week that would point somebody, and I don't just mean going to church. A lot of people go to church. But is there a a point in your calendar that says, that points to God and says, this is about God. This is about my time with him. This is about the importance of relating to him and having a relationship with him. Do you see that? Does the unbeliever see that? Notice the second thing. Once we give our time to the Lord, we are to give it to our loved ones. And sometimes number two becomes number one, and that's idolatry. But number two is an important thing. Because the most important relationship, and understand you cannot have relationships without time. Understand that the very essence of relationships is the opportunity to relate. You cannot relate without time being a part of it. And so you say, well, I have a relationship with God. Time is going to determine what that relationship is. And I will tell you, you cannot have a depth of relationship with anybody, including God, if you're only giving them two minutes a day. There's no time. There's no relationship. So then we got to give God time because with time comes our relationship. But then our loved ones, Amanda, in my life, should get more time than every other human being. Number one, second to God, number one with all other human beings, Amanda, my wife should get my time. Now, some of you have translated, well, because we have kids, kids get more of our time. No, your spouse gets your number one time. But here's what I do. I come home after a busy day of work, and Amanda has been spending time in the 10 and younger uh, generation, and there's not been a rational thought that has been talked about for eight hours. And she sees me and says, finally, another uh, human being, another person who thinks rationally, I can have a conversation with. I don't have to deal with with these children and try to have a conversation with them. And I come home, and she says, hey, Tim, how was your day? And my response, guys, is fine. Well, what did you do? I worked. As if she doesn't know that, I had to help her with that. Well, tell me a little bit more about it. It was good. we got to do better than that, Guys. We need to relate with our spouse. It involves time. And women, it's, it's true with, uh, with us as men. We need to relate to our spouses. That means giving one another time. That means turning off the TV and having a conversation. Communication is a key part of relationships, and we have to be able to share that. I might add then that number three, God, your spouse, then like a distant, I mean a distant third, children. And so if you're a father or a mother today, You've had children, now God says you need to invest time with them. You need to pour into them. But here's the problem. What we do with our kids' time is not always healthy. Just because you're spending time with your kids doesn't mean it's quality time. Now, Amanda and I, three boys, we spend a lot of time looking at a field or a basketball court. Our time is going to be invested because the boys most likely in in sporting events. But can I tell you something? As important as baseball games and basketball games and extracurricular things for my children are, that's not the quality of time that God is only asking of me. Yeah, he wants to see Tim rooting on his kids. But I grew up in a home that my dad understood what quality time with his children were. And can I tell you, my dad didn't teach me any sports. He was an immigrant from Baghdad and they didn't play any of the sports they play here. And so he was already behind the curve. So I had to learn how to play sports from other, other dads and other people. But let me tell you what my dad taught me. My dad taught me that God is supreme. And I remember some of the most, most blessed times as a kid was sitting in a catering van, driving, learning how to work, that was important. My dad showed me this is what it means to put in an honest day of work. And my dad on the way home would say, Hey, Tim, grab my Bible. It's in between the seats. Open up to this passage. Let's read God's Word together. Tim, what struggles are you having? And Tim, what do you need to give to God? And I remember to this day with greater remembrance than vacations with my parents, than my parents sitting in the bleachers watching me play a game, rooting me on. The best times I remember as a kid was my dad teaching me about God's Word. And so I want to encourage you mom and dads that you remember that your time that given to the loved ones of your children especially is not just given in doing things with your kids and making them happy, but teaching them the Word of God. That's why Deuteronomy 6 says, train them, excuse me, train them while they're lying down, when they're getting up on the road in the morning, in the evening, train them the Word of God so that they will not one day depart from it. And that's the thing that we need to be encouraged with. So our lo- the Lord, our loved ones, notice the third one is our labor. Oh, this one hurts. We've got to spend time working. Some people believe work is a part of the fall. It's the part of our sin uh, pen- penalty. But understand that long before sin entered into the garden, Adam was working. He was tending the garden. He was working. And God saw fit in his creation that you and I would work, that we would invest time uh, serving our fellow man and honoring God through our labors. And so here's the thing. I don't want to hear any of you have your boss come to me and say, yeah, I I have so-and-so who works for me. And they're a lousy employee. They don't show up on time, and when they do show up, they uh, they don't work to the best of their abilities. And I'll tell you, it happens. I I have a, uh, a a boss of one of yours that lives in my town, and I brought up your name, one of your names, and I was so grateful. And so I said, "Hey, yes, yeah, so and so, he goes to my church. That guy's a good employee. He works hard. He can be trusted." I was encouraged by that because Christians should be the best employees because God has said we are to use our time when we're at work not only as if we're serving a man, but if we're serving God. And so our employers should be able to say, that employee, I don't have to worry that he's going to cheat me. I don't have to worry he's not giving me 100% or he's skimming off the top. I know that they are who they are because it's as if they're serving someone even more important. You are. Colossians chapter 4 tells us you're serving God. You're serving unto Christ. So are the Lord, our loved ones, our labor, and then we get to the one you want to amen, our leisure. Okay, Tim, now you're getting to it. Because when do I get to relax? When do I get to rest? You get to relax. Understand this. You get to relax every day. Eight hours of your day is given to relaxing. But we have made relaxation... A sport. And what we say is, and in, in the, in the, in this most backwards theological thing I've ever heard, well, God rested, therefore that's why we have vacations. God did not take a vacation on the seventh day of creation. Get that out of your mind. God didn't put Mickey Mouse ears on and head over to Walt Disney World. Now, does that because God didn't do it, make our vacations bad? No, but be careful that we don't think that We're called to something that we're really not. Vacations are great, but here's what vacations are for. When God rested on the seventh day, he did so to glory in what he created. And so what our rest needs to do is first and foremost, not be about ourselves. Now, does that mean you can't go fun places? No, I'm not saying that. But let's put it into proper context. We rest... So that we can look back and see what God has done. We rest so that in the next seven days, we can do all the more for God. What our times of relaxation are for, what number four there is for, is to be better at serving our Lord. To get the rest to be better at serving our loved ones. To be at rest so that we can serve our employees well. But here's what will happen tomorrow. We'll go into our workplaces... And we'll say, man, I'm so tired. Oh, man, we did this, this, and this on the weekend, and your boss doesn't get any of it. Or we work so so hard during our times of rest that our kids come up to us and say, hey, Dad, can we go do this? Can we go do that? Can we spend time together? I'm just so tired. I, I was out at the races, or I was out doing this or that. And our hobbies trumpet. Our leisure is to make sure that we have the energy to accomplish in the days to come the top three things. So be careful that you order your time appropriately to minister in these ways to the proper people in the proper way. So how do we do it? How do we do it? We need to have our time guided by God. It's got to be guided by God. God has to be the starting point. You will never find true rhythm in life if you don't have your time guided by God. Now I'm going to get to our text here, and that's going to be kind of the exclamation point of our time today. But I want to share, first of all, that having it guided by God involves some practical steps. Write that down this morning. Some practical steps that will guide us. Many of you know I was I have the opportunity to be a part of a, a select group of pastors, uh, to be a part of what is called the Next Generation uh, Pastors Group. It's 12 of us that have been selected uh, from across the country, and a group called Leadership Network is investing in us over the next couple of years uh, to make us better pastors and to learn uh, what we have learned as pastors and what's going on in our churches. And I've had this great opportunity to be a part of some of the nation's uh, up-and-coming leaders uh, of the church. And what they do is, one thing I love about our time together, when we get together, is they bring mentor pastors in. And one of the mentor pastors' name was Bruce Miller. And Bruce is a great guy, pastors a great church down in uh, the Dallas, Texas area. And he wrote a book. And I don't advertise books very often, but I'm going to tell you, go to Amazon today and buy this book. Because it's going to give you some practical understanding of how to use your time. It's called Your Life and Rhythm. And he wrote this book because he said finding balance in life is impossible. He likens finding balance in our lives like sitting on a seesaw. And what he says is is that finding that balance is impossible. Turn, Turn the screen there for me. That on a seesaw, it's impossible to bring balance. And even if you're able to do it, you do everything in your power then just to try to keep that balance there. And so he says, balance is the wrong thing to be looking for. In fact, I've been challenged by this over and over again. Tim, you're so busy. You've got all these different things going on. How do you find balance in life? I said, I don't find balance. Our lives, Amanda's and my life is completely out of balance. It started early on as a self-employed guy. Balance was a hard thing to find. And so I was so encouraged when he began to share this. And he says, I don't even think the Bible talks about finding the balanced life. So I said, "Well, Bruce, then what do you find?" He says, "This is what I learned in scripture. In the Bible there are two words for time. Write this down. The first word is what the word is the Greek word chronos. Chronos. The Hebrew transliteration of that word chronos is the word you will find in the book of Ecclesiastes when Solomon says there's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for everything. There is a chronos for everything. What does chronos mean? Chronological, chronology. It is quantitative time. And this time is what we see every day. Kronos time is 24 hours in a day. Kronos time is seven days in a week. Kronos time is 365 days a year. Kronos time means we have a spring time, a summer time, an autumn time, and a winter time. Whether you're having a good time or a bad time, it's one of those times, right? I can't say, boy, I really feel like it's winter time. I want it to be Christmas. No, I got to wait. I can't push it any farther. It's going to happen when it happens. And we live within that chronos. Scripture talks about it. In fact, the Bible, the the, uh, Israelites lived lives of chronos. Where do we see it? In all of their festivals. In all of their celebrations. There were times, moments in the calendar year where they stopped and they rejoiced. They stopped and confessed. They stopped and brought sacrifice. And God built it into the fabric of their life. That there was a rhythm to life. Within the chronos. Now, Bruce says in his book, and you'll, you'll get to hear more of it if you read it, but in this chronos time, three things that Christians need to do is, number one, write this down, pace yourself. And in the book, he does a great job of articulating how Jesus, remember God is eternal, and when we say God is an eternal God, what we are praising is the God above time. When we say, God, you are the eternal God, that means he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. But God put himself in time when he put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And when Jesus made his dwelling here, not only did he put on time, but he put on that he had to be a steward of time. And you see in Jesus' life, and Bruce talks about this in his book, you see in Jesus' life that, number one, it went to God. It went to his Father. He says at the end of his life, I accomplished all that you willed for me to accomplish. Boy, I would love to be able to say that to my Father in heaven. Number two, he did give to his loved ones. Remember, Jesus is at the wedding at Cana, and his mom comes and says, hey, we've got a problem. And Jesus says, hey, it's not my time. But my mom is asking for something. And I want to honor my mom, and I want to dedicate to her the use of my time. And so what does Jesus' first miracles begin with? It begins with honoring his mom's request. And then you notice his labor. He gives himself over to the labor of discipling those. But Jesus also had some leisure time. Time and time again in the New Testament, we see that Jesus dedicates himself to leaving the crowd and going spending time. And you notice what was his leisure time? You never see him say, Hey, I hear the fish in the Sea of Galilee are just biting. Let's go get them. Or, you know what? Let's go get one of the boats and you guys row real fast. We'll do some tubing. Okay? Jesus' leisure was to pray, to seek his Father's face to become rejuvenated and rest and eat so he could get up the next day and serve his father all the more. But here's the thing that I love about it that comes with the idea of pacing yourself. Jesus never went beyond the area of Galilee. He didn't reach the masses outside of it. And there were a lot of people that didn't know about Jesus when Jesus walked on this earth. Even with the group of people that Jesus was with, Jesus didn't heal everybody. And Jesus didn't counsel everybody Jesus served who he was able to serve in the confines of time and he did so by fulfilling the will of his father and here's the thing you cannot do everything Jesus didn't he didn't accomplish everything that he could have but he accomplished what needed to be fulfilled for us to experience eternal life in him including going to the cross So Jesus was limited, and Jesus paced himself. He did what he was able to do. Jesus slept. He didn't work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He slept. He ate. He did what he needed to do. And so don't think that you can't do those things and you're ungodly, but pace yourself. Number two, build rituals into your life. Get through the chronos of life by building rituals. Some of you aren't honoring God because you haven't built it into your life. Some of you aren't studying the Scriptures because you haven't put that as a part of your life. Build those rituals and build them according to those four things. So build the ritual of spending time with the Lord. Sunday morning for the follower of Jesus Christ should be a ritual that you're a part of. Before I do anything else on a Sunday, I'm going to be here. It's really hard. My son is learning that at 10 years of age because... He had the opportunity to be a part of a soccer team, and that we found out, but the games are on Sunday. You know what, soccer's important, but not that important. And I was glad my son said, he looked at me and said, but dad, that means I I would have to miss church, and I, I can't do that. That's a ritual. It's important. Build those rituals. Family rituals are important. There are special times and special moments that need to trump that which we do. Build those rituals. Don't be afraid of family traditions that build those things into the time of life. Because if you don't do those things, then other things will take up that time and you'll lose it. And, not, and, and number three, make sure you're oscillating, he says, oscillating work and rest. I was like, what in the word does oscillate mean when he told me that? He said, think of the fan. The fan, you know, that you got blow. It goes over here, and then it blows over there. So make sure you're oscillating work and rest. and Work and rest. Now that's the Kronos. I need to get moving here. But there's also a second word for time. Keros. It's in our text this morning of Ephesians 5. Making the most of our time. It's not chronos. It's not chronologically clock time but it's a quality of time. So you're going to leave here today, and you're going to say, man, Tim preached for a real short amount of chronos, but it was the best of times. I had the time of my life while all, all was preaching. That is keros. Keros is written in the great novel War and Peace. It was the best of keros. It was the worst of keros. Kairos it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. They're not talking about a set amount of time They're talking about the quality of time And so the Bible says Kronos We got to understand that and find our rhythm with Kronos But we also need to find our rhythm in the Kairos of life You'll see this in that book now in the Kairos of life in the scriptures There's a rhythm to be found as well within the Kairos of that is the quality of time I have a certain time a part of that I need to be a part of, and how do I live it out? Number one, release expectations. So let me explain to you. When my first experience with Bruce, I told him, he says, how do you oscillate time and, and work? I said, well, you know, I gotta be honest with you, I'm, I'm gonna be taking a lot of time uh, because our executive pastor is gonna be on a sabbatical, and he's gonna be gone, and so I'm gonna have to fill in for him in a lot of ways. And he says, well, how are you gonna make sure that you uh, get some time away? I said, hey, it's my 15-year anniversary, In December, I told them, this was last November, I want to take my wife away on a romantic getaway. But here's the problem, Amanda doesn't want to go. And he says, why doesn't your wife want to go? I said, because she's worried about what we're going to do with the three boys. And Amanda's words were this, I'm not going to have any fun alone with you if I'm wondering where they're at. So we're going to have to do something, Tim, while I want to spend time with you, we're going to have to do that later because we've got three boys with us. And it's going to be really hard to wonder where they're at. They were going to have to be at all different people's houses and all that with all their schedules. It just didn't work. And so we needed to release the expectation that Tim and Amanda were going to get this romantic getaway. And what we needed to do was seize the opportunities, write that down. So what did we do? We put the family in a van and we went down to Florida as a family. Why? Because that's where we're at. That's the life stage we're in. And we only got our kids for a certain amount of time, so we might as well spend time with them because we recognize that when the kids grow older, they're not going to want to spend a whole lot of time with us, especially not in the fun of, of a family vacation. And so let's dedicate some time to that. He likened it to a woman who had just given birth, that she shouldn't be out doing all kinds of Bible studies and ministry galore, that she should really have the opportunity to release those expectations of doing ministry and seize the opportunity of having a baby and nurturing and ministering to that baby instead of per se ministering to everybody else. But the final thing that he says with this caros that you'll read is to anticipate what's next. So I'm looking forward to the day I get to take my wife on a romantic getaway. She says it's 18 years from now, but that's okay. I said, we'll still probably have the kids in the house. They'll fail to launch and we'll still have that. But then she says, there'll be someone to watch the house and that, that's good. And so that's what we need to do. So I want you to recognize that in the Bible, there are rhythms, rhythms to the clock time and the rhythms to the quality of time. And I'm thankful for a guy like Bruce who came into my life and taught me these things. And I said, one day when I talk on the issue of time, I'm going to bring this up. Now, that's the practical side. Now, let's get to the Bible. Now, I know we haven't spent a lot of time, and I hope you know that our practice is to get into God's Word deep. And you say, Tim, we haven't gotten much into it. Let me end with this. And we're going to nail this so that we leave this place because there's a biblical use of our time. And let me read our text again before us. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as wise but as unwise, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's leave today with these reminders. Number one, the use of your time as being a wise steward is a command, not a suggestion. When he says, look carefully as to how you use your time, he's saying, do it, because I'm going to hold you accountable. Your use of this week's time will one day be held accountable on the day of judgment. How are you going to use it? So here's what God says. Number one, because it's a command that God wants you to be very careful, that idea of being very careful literally means to look around your surroundings intently so that you do not stumble. So look at your week. What's ahead of me? How can I use my time to redeem it? Number one, it begins by repenting of wasted opportunities. We've blown it this last week. And you know where we blow it? Is in technology. I love TV. I I enjoy watching a good TV show, but the amount of hours we waste watching TV, the amount of hours we waste on Facebook and the internet. Here's the thing I've come to know we have more technology than anybody before us. And I read of some of the great pastors of the faith and even just great people of the faith, or people that have served humanity well. I'm reading right now a, a biography, American Lion, by Andrew, it's about Andrew Jackson, one of our presidents. Andrew Jackson got more done by 5 o'clock in the morning than I get done in a whole week. They worked hard. They used every minute. And he didn't have a car. He didn't have any of that. And he got all of it done. And I'm learning that pastors got a whole lot more done when they didn't have this technology. Technology isn't always good. Sometimes it's the greatest distraction. So we need to repent of wasted opportunities. That wasted opportunity to share with a coworker, That wasted opportunity to share with our children. That wasted opportunity to share with that, that stranger we don't know. We need to repent of that. Confess it as sin and give it to God. Number two, we need to remember the scripture says that the days are evil. Here's the thing. If you go into this week and say, I'm just going to take the week as it comes. Whatever comes my way, comes my way. Understand this. The only thing that this world is going to bring to you this week is sin. Or a distraction to sin. Or an advertisement to pursue sin. Because anything that's apart from faith is sin. If it's not a part of God's plan, then it's distracting us. It's wasting time somewhere else. And so you need to recognize that when you allow the world to set your time clock, then they're going to be advertising ways to use your time for evil, not for good. Remember, the days are evil. They're going to lead you to something else. So don't be enthralled with the way the world lives its life. Pursue what God says. Next, we need to redeem the time for Christ. That word redeem or other translations say making the most of our opportunities is a powerful statement. It's a marketplace statement that means get the best bang for your buck. What it means is be a consumer who is wise to find deals with your time. And so what I do is I allow ministry to impact my work life and 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 God to impact family life and so we've spent a lot of time on the baseball field and I sit there and go well that's a waste of time especially if 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 there are eternal things at stake and we made a commitment we're going to sit on those sidelines we're going to tell people about Jesus we're going to impact people and people are going to know we're followers of Jesus Christ. And it isn't easy because it's hard to make those, have those conversations on the sidelines. It's hard to do that. But that's what we're wanting to do. And so redeem the time. So you're going to sit by the same 12, 14 families on the sidelines of a baseball game. Well, start telling them about Jesus. Start telling them about it. Show yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not bad to be on the sidelines. Just use the time. Make the most of that opportunity. You're going to spend eight hours a week or eight hours a day at work? Make the most of it. Start sharing Christ with your employers, with your fellow employees. I heard of someone this a uh, couple weeks ago who heard about Village Bible Church and started coming because a waitress told them about. The church. Now that's worth a big tip. Use the opportunity you have to make it for Christ. Redeem it for Christ. And finally, recognize God's plan. The scripture says that the wise knows what God's will is. Do you know what God's will is for your life? Do you know what God's will is for you today? Do you know what God's will is for you when you're at work and when you're at play? Do you know what opportunities you're even to be looking for? The Bible says we are to study the Scriptures to know what God's plan is for our life. And when we know what God's plan is, then we have marching orders of what tomorrow is supposed to look like. My tomorrow, my Monday is supposed to look a lot like Sunday is. Here's why. My tomorrow is to be proclaiming God's word just like I did on Sunday. And so I need to know what God's plan is and I need to look for opportunities for that and share those opportunities with the employees that come my way, with the customers that come my way, with my friends that come that way. And I need to be ready for it and some of us need to start asking the question, God, what is tomorrow gonna be about? And then start living in light of that truth. We need to recognize God's plan. It is then that we will walk not as the unwise, but as the wise, that we will make the best use of time. Even though the days are evil, we'll be able to do so knowing and understanding the will of God. God is calling you and I to use our time wisely, not only as individuals, but as a church. And it's our time for us to get, it's time for us to get to work. The time is now and time is a terrible thing for us to waste.